The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. And what's up, everybody, and welcome to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island's WGBB. I'm Andy Stugoff. I'll be your host here for Hour 2 of Sports Talk New York on this Sunday, April 11th, 2021. How's everybody doing today? On tonight's show, we got Brian McRae, former Mets outfielder of the 90s. Everybody love him. Sean Little, good friend of mine, co-host of the podcast No Catch-Up Chicago. And before we begin, I just want to remind everyone you can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can also visit our website at WGBBSportsTalk.com where you can listen to all past shows and check out any upcoming show information. Lastly, if you don't, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast WGBB Sports Talk New York on iTunes, Spotify, or just about anywhere you listen to your podcast. So, while, while we're waiting for Brian McRae to come on, it is the opening week of baseball season, and that's, that's just so much fun for me. I, as a baseball fan, it's always been, like, that first week of April is just one of those times where you really feel like spring is here. And this week, we got a, we got a great week, with today being the exception, because today here in America it was miserable with all the rain, and, you know, nobody likes driving in that, nobody likes playing ball in that, that's not fun. But all week, 65, 70, it was nice. And the Yankees and Mets got to hit the field. And of course, you know, while the leaves are now coming back and things are changing, things are getting nicer out, some things, well, just never change. Like, like, like Jacob deGrom. And I, I have a, I, I cannot for the life of me imagine how this happens. Once again, Jacob deGrom, two great starts, doesn't have anything to show for it. And, And when when Jacob Degrom pitches, I don't know like what the Mets do that have that they like forget how to hit, where they can put up good numbers for anybody else, but then once number forty eight hits the mound, they just they hit they hit like my softball my company softball team. It's one of the most mind boggling things I've ever seen, and to, to this day I have no idea how Jacob Degrom after every game he pitches doesn't just stick his foot down the throat of pretty much everybody in the starting lineup. I, I I was listening to the game the other night, and they had Brandon Nimmo asking about it. And Nimmo even outright said that it, it's amazing that he doesn't do that. I I I know I would I would have I would have lost it on somebody at this point. And he's got he's got to have he's got to have a heart of gold. He's got to have the patience of a saint, and obviously he's got the fastball of a god, because he's because eight innings, fourteen strikeouts, no runs, or one run, and nothing. So he's got to they they got to they got to hit for him, because that's just that's just terrible, and I I will get back into the Grom in a little bit, but right now I want to introduce my first guest. Former Mets center fielder, Royals, Cubs, Brian McCray. Brian, thank you for taking the time tonight. Thank you for having me on. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you. So I, I was opening the show with Jacob DeGrom and how he gets 
like no run support from the Mets, and it's been going on for ever and ever and ever. Was there ever a pitcher that was on your teams that had that same problem where it's like no matter what he did, he would just like never get that kind of run support that other pitchers would get? Kevin Adrian. That's the first person I thought I would be said Jacob DeGrom. No matter what happened in his talk, we didn't score. And he would pitch his butt off. And he would We found a way not to score. It was frustrating. Frustrating. And I think we had an extra added amount of pressure. When he pitched, because we knew that the team wasn't doing for to get with And that contributed to us not being I mean, produced on the day he pitched. We scored on the day. We scored on the day before he pitched. But we did score on the day. So, as you're... So We'll, we'll jump into your career a little bit. You, you were drafted in the first round in 1985. You, you had an offer to play football at Kansas. Were, were you, was that something you were really considering before the Royals drafted you, or was baseball the, the first love that you had? Baseball was my first love, but I really wanted to go and play football. Drafted me first round, and I thought, the four or five years I spent in Kansas, where would I? If I play baseball, that was ultimately my four or five baseball. I would be a lot better if I went to Kansas to play football. My body would be a little bit better than it four or five years of football. That's what what uh, what I decided to do. I was I probably college football baseball, and I was more in football and baseball, but I wasn't going to play in the NFL. Yeah, spe- speaking of NFL, you when you got when you got called up in '90, you were replacing Bo. Hey, Bo got hurt. You got you got the call to play center field. And when when you get that first when you get that first call that you're going to the show, what what goes through your head when when you when you hear that from the coach? Well, when I first heard I was going. To- in Huntsville, Alabama, morning at a motel six. So I was not thinking anything glamorous or what. I didn't know what was going on. I thought they were going to play. They told me to go to the ballpark, get my stuff, and go to Kansas City. And but with my deal, at that time, he said, well, this was a big game. I was told, I'll be in the big leagues 14 days after that. So I, I, I knew nothing. I, it was a whirlwind cell phone at that time. I had to call my mom on a payphone to let her know. It was just a lot of things that were going on that, uh, you know, they were just crazy. And I just thought I'd be there for a minute. And 10 years later, I was still in the big leagues. Anytime I see her ass now, I laugh. And I say, because you got hurt. My opportunity was there, and I took advantage of it. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking with Brian McCray. So one of your 
you know, like your first few years in Kansas City, one of your teammates, Hall of Famer, 3,000 hits, World Series champion, George Brett. When he would, when you, when you first saw him, what was, what was the first impression you had of him? Well, when he got there in 'Cause I was a bat boy and a ball boy for those guys. Yeah, so when you got when you got when you got there and you were you started your career, your dad, Hal McCray, long time Royals outfielder, he was, he was the manager. So everybody you know, you talk about like like you play for your dad in Little League and like maybe high school. But when you're playing for when your father's your manager in the major leagues and you talk about a guy who probably knows your game, the probably the only person who knows your game as well as you do. Are the expectations different than playing for any other manager? Well, I think the dynamics of him being the manager with me on the team were different because one, I got to the big league in 1990, and he didn't manage the latest. So I was starting to establish myself as a as a big league player. And two, we weren't around each other that much, me growing up and him playing baseball. So this was the first time that family had the opportunity to be around each other for a long period of time in the same place. So it was very special. It was unique. The first year, 92, when he came there, I didn't really rejoice it or handle it in the right way. And I struggled with that. But after that first year, I was able to understand that, you know, this is not lonely. This is big league baseball. And you're paid for performance after performance before you get sent down. And, you know, our relationship was grew good and it got stronger in a family dynamic. Got stronger in the same place at the same time. But it was, you know, I look back at it now with a lot of fun. My dad got to see me every day at work. And how many fathers get to see their for four years at work, go to work with them, hang out with them. And that, that was a special, special time in my career. And I really enjoyed it. So at, while you were with the Royals, you, 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 were, you were there for like that transition period from the 80s World Series teams and the Brett era to the, to the 90s. Where the Royals weren't 
the the best team in baseball, but they had some young guys come up like through the pipeline. Yeah, the last like, couple of years we were good. You know, ninety three and ninety four, we had a chance to make the playoffs. The strike year, I thought we really were going to make the playoffs in ninety four. So it was a good transition for me as a younger player because from ninety to ninety two, I was trying to find my find my way in the big. 93 and 94, I started to establish myself as an everyday major league player. I was a good player. I put up some good numbers. I had, you know, I was close to making an all-star team. So I, I was getting there to where I was turning the corner from a prospect and a, and a guy that's, you know, learning to a guy that's starting to understand what it takes. And the strike of my big really the Kansas City baseball dynamics away because we had a ring winning record against the Indians, a winning record against the White Sox. We were three or four games behind them at a time. And I really thought that our pitching was better than those those teams and we could have made the playoffs. And things would have been a lot different with my career, my dad's career as a manager in Kansas City if we would have made the playoffs in 1994, I probably would have played the majority of my career, or maybe most of my career, in Kansas City instead of being traded in '95 to the Cubs. And I was gonna, I was gonna get to that. So, like, '94 strike happens, and '95 things are starting to get back into back into focus, and you get traded to Chicago, where you know you get you get to play in the same outfield as Sammy Sosa, and so Sammy Sosa wasn't. The 66 home run guy just yet, but he was he was getting there. No, he was an all star at that time in '95 when I got traded there. So, um, I enjoyed the National League immensely. That was if I could have gotten traded to any other team, the Cubs were the best place for me at that. And day baseball, you're on TV every day. Your friends and family get to see you. Chicago is an hour and ten minute flight from Kansas City. So I can still keep my roots in Kansas City even though I was living in Chicago. I got back and forth to Kansas City a lot during the season because of all the day games I played. It was, you know, 95 and 96 seasons. That was as much fun as I had playing baseball and trying to enjoy you know, being a major league baseball player in a major city as you could have because Jordan and the Bulls were going on at that time. The Blackhawks were pretty good. It was, it was just a good time to be an athlete in Chicago. But, you know, that was fun. We were close to making the playoffs in 95, not so much in 96. Then I got traded in 97 to, to the Mets. But the, for those two and a half or three years that I played in Chicago, my family and my friends, I got to hang out with them more and enjoy being a big league ball player more than I ever did anywhere else that I played. So when you got to the NL, did you see a marked difference between American League pitching and, and, and National League pitching? Because you did put up the your... pitching, I didn't see the difference. I saw a different style of play. I saw a difference in the managers, how they run, how they ran things. I saw a big difference in the way the umpires called. 
and all of those things suited my skill set at the time more so than the American League. And you know, I, I thought the strike zone was liberal. I thought games and the pace moved along fast. I thought they didn't play for the big inning as much as they do in the American League. So all those things worked in my favor. And I like the National League cities. The cities, I, I felt that the National League cities were much better than the American League cities. And it was just, it was just a good fit for me in the, in the National League at that time. Did, did you ever try to take a piece of the Ivy off of the wall? I ran into the Ivy once. In 95, my first year, and I learned that even though the ivy looks like it's padding on the wall, there's still brick behind that, and I never did it again. That's a, that's a smart way to go about it. But I, I, I know, like, the first time I went to Wrigley Field, I, I wanted to try to, I wanted to try to lean over and take a piece of ivy off of it to, as a keepsake. Did you, while you were with the Cubs, did you ever, did they ever let you do that, or? They probably would have. I never. I don't. I don't have any. I. What I have, I have some dirt from the infield of Wrigley, and that's about it. I. I have some dirt. I have my jersey. But I never was. I didn't really think about it at that time. I. I have some artifacts from other stadiums, old Tiger Stadium, uh, Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. Misty Park in Chicago. I, I I was able some of those parks that were in transition when I was playing. I was able to get some things from those ballparks, but I never with Wrigley being my home field. I forgot about getting something from there. Yeah, <laughs> and the Ivy would have been the easiest thing to take and put it in a Ziploc bag, be good to go. For sure, we're talking with Brian McRae. So after Chicago in '97, you get you get traded to the Mets. And the Mets, the Mets are on the on the up and up at this point. You know, Bobby Valentine has them in the right direction. When you walk into that clubhouse, what what's your first impression of the Mets when you get there? Well, in '97, in Chicago was not very good, and I was it was a bittersweet deal because I just signed a three year deal. Been in Chicago for two, signed a three year deal. We got off to like a one and seventeen or two and seventeen part. You know, those are my guys. Those are my boys. You want to go down with the ship. I got traded to a team that was a contention, and I felt a little guilty leaving Chicago because I struggled And after having two good years there. And then I get to the Mets, and I just didn't know what to think. A lot of guys there I knew, well, for playing minor league ball and going up against and things. It was a good group of guys. It was a good clubhouse, but getting traded in the middle of the season for some popular players, it was just tough. You know, I, I really didn't feel like I fit in to that team in 97 until I got to spring training with them in 98. I felt like I was part of 97, I just felt like I was just a hanger on. I didn't know what was the was. So in the, in '98, you set your career high in home runs, RBIs, walks, and the the Mets are in contention right up until the very end. And that yeah, the last day of the season. Yeah, yeah, that that was spurred on by the big trade in May, where Mike Piazza comes in. 
Did you notice an immediate change in everything that was going on once Piazza walked in there? The biggest change in the clubhouse was the attitude that they're going for. It. You know, you make a trade for Mike Piazza. That means you're trying to win right now. And the biggest difference in my career at that point was I went from a hitting leadoff most of my career, first or second. I hit fifth. Oru was third, Piazza was fourth, and I hit fifth. So those guys were on base all the time. And I think I think my change to hit fifth was about a third of the way, quarter of the way through the season. I got pitched differently because of the guys in front of me. So they made my success greater. Yeah, I've Oru, th- Piazza, me. So who are you going to pitch to? Uh, and I took advantage of it, and I was able to have some good success hitting behind those guys. And that was, as a hitter, that was the most important as far as being in a lineup, being a focal point in a lineup. I'd never hit fifth. And I was a leadoff. I started off early in my career hitting eighth and ninth, and I moved up to first and second. And now I'm hitting fifth behind Oru's Piazza. That made it easy for me to drive the ball, get RBI. Like, if I would have hit behind those guys my whole career, you know, my numbers would have been a lot better. I just, I just felt like that was a perfect spot for me at that time as I matured into my career, uh, matured as a hitter because I was ready to do some damage. Which I wouldn't have done at another point in my career. Yeah, I have, I have plenty of scorecards from those late '90s Mets teams with your name right, right behind Piazza. I think Alfonso hit. They were on base almost twice a game. All I had to do was put the ball in play, and I would already out. And and teams were scared to pitch to those guys, and they had runners on base, and they had to pitch to me. And you know that was like I, said, I felt dangerous. I felt like I. That that was one of the only times in my career for about a four-month period where I felt every day I went to the ballpark, I could impact the game with my bat instead of my glove. And one of those moments happened in September that year against Houston, Billy Wagner, who many think he should be in the Hall of Fame, and you you hit a winning home run off of him. And I was trying to hit a home run at that time. And there's not many times in my career that I went up to the plate trying to hit a home run. But in Houston, it was, it was extra innings. Billy Wagner's throwing hard. I was like, I'm going to. And, and you just got it. I filed the first pitch off straight back. And he threw me enough. And I was able to. The Astronome was not a good part to hit home runs. But I was able to do. Do what I wanted to do, and we went on. That last week and a half, felt like playoff World Series. Everything that's a full So then, the next the next season, ninety nine, the Mets are again in contention throughout the entire season, and you know, you're traded for you're traded to Colorado with 
Rigo Beltran and another couple other people for Daryl Hamilton, Chuck McElroy as the Mets prepare for that playoff run. Did it upset you that you didn't get to be a part of that that playoff run to the NLCS? Yeah, it was frustrating. One, I got hurt early in the year, and I tried to play through the knees. Um, and I struggled in '99, but it was make it to the playoffs. I still got a bonus because I was there over half the year. Well, you know, I, I felt like I was still a small, a small part of that because I was there early and contributed some things early. But, you know, looking back at I should have The thing I, I look at during the play every day and I played it. I never wanted to be. I played 10 years from 90 to 99, and I never missed a day because I was well, certainly a te- certainly so a testament to the el- to durability. And prideful to the fact that I never missed anything. You know, I think that hurt me. And I might have stayed on the team and gone to the playoffs. You know, missing the playoffs is You know, I I. I I think I played almost 1,400 games major league. Never played a player. I'm one of the handful of guys that have played that many games and have never been in the postseason. So, yeah, to say that that off, I would be lying. We're talking with Brian McCray. So to kind of bring it to today and what you're doing now with the Kansas City Sluggers, uh, are, are you big on the analytical aspect of baseball now, or do you find more – like an old school approach, like the way you were you were brought up in the game is the better way to go about it. I use a little bit of both. I think the analytical aspect of it you could use in the game. If a kid understands the game, if he knows how to play the way, so I still, I, you know, those things as far as how I rate a player or value a player. You know, there's no But if a guy it is that if a guy has a exit below of hundred ten but he can't hit a breaking ball, what good is he gonna do for my ball? So I think you need to use the analytical aspect of it and just your baseball knowledge and fit that together to see how a player can react in certain situations. So how did you get involved with the Kansas City Sluggers? I was doing some lessons and uh, broadcasting after I got done playing and a friend of mine that works at uh, one of the community colleges here in Kansas City, Kansas County Community College here in Overland Park, Kansas. They went to the Junior College World Series in uh, in Colorado, Grand Junction, Colorado, and they needed somebody to help out for the week or two weeks while they were there, and I was asked to help out, and that's kind of how I got started with them. Yeah, as, as I was kind of looking through the looking through everything, it seems like quite like, several players have made it to the major leagues from this program. 
Right. There's Albert, Albert Pujol played, Sean Hawks, you know, Joey Devine, uh, Aaron Crow. There's following six, seven big leaguers that have played their, you know, played their younger, younger ball, AAU ball, so to speak, with the Kansas City Sluggers organization. Since I've been a part of it, we have four or five that have uh, that have played there, and, and hundreds of kids have played college ball, gone on to finish their you know, collegiate careers to get their degree. And in a small part, I think the sluggers don't help them out even like, as far as understanding what they needed to do to uh, to get to the next level and the work that they had to put in. Some of those guys now come back and help them. I see those guys a lot in the summers here in Kansas City, so it's been a good fit for me, and I enjoy doing it, and it's a, it's a non why I wanted to do it. Um, some of these other tournaments and travels are out there to make a ton of money, and we're not like that, and I think that's what separates us from the others. We don't have as many teams as the others, but I I don't want to take them on. Parents got to get their kids like this and and gone on to to play college ball, and if they don't play college ball, they go on go to college and have fun while they're playing high school ball and learn how to compete. For sure. Well, Brian, thank you for taking the time tonight. I I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you very much, and uh, hopefully we can have a, a good Major League Baseball season without any delays or any interruptions. Uh, absolutely. going on. We're on the other side of it. Absolutely. can get out and watch the baseball game. Enjoy it again. Definitely. Well, Brian, thank you. Uh, that was Brian McCray. When we come back from our break, I'm going to have No Catch Up Chicago podcast with Sean Little joining me. So you're not going to want to miss that. Stay right here. Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And we're back for the second half of WGBB Sports Talk. I'm Andy Sukov. And before I start the second segment, got a shout-out to my man Brian Graves behind the glass. Got the thumbs up from him. We are all good. So want to thank Brian McCray for joining me in the first half. And as we were talking to the former Mets and Cubs outfielder, I now want to bring on... One of my favorite Cubs fans and the host of No Catch Up Chicago, Sean Little. Sean, what's up, bud? How are you? Man, how are you, my brother? I miss you, man. I'm, I'm so happy to hear from you. Of course, man. You too. I'm. I, I'll, I'll be in Chicago again at some point soon. So we and we will de- we will definitely chill this time. Yes, absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to it. What's going on, man? I'm doing good. Uh, we'll we'll jump we'll jump right into it. I, like I was saying, I had a Brian McCray from the Cubs on earlier. Now we're going to talk about the 2021 Cubs with you. So 
What what have you seen so far? It's all, I know it's only been a week, and there's still 150 more games to go. But what have you seen from the Cubs so far this year that you like? Yeah, no, it's um, I've seen a lot of no bats. Yo, if you let me, Andy, you know you're my guy. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it 100 with you through and through. I think Ricketts has taken it to a point where he's like, hey, I got you guys a ring. Now I'm going to do whatever I want with the surrounding neighborhoods. I'm going to buy up everything, do what I want. The squad is a secondary thing to me. And I think that's the reason why Theo Epstein is gone, because he sat down Theo and he had a real conversation with Theo. And he's like, hey, I'm going to need you to do a rebuild without giving you the capital that would be necessary. So if you want to walk out the door and do that, you're more than welcome, and I think that's why Theo left. I mean, not, not- Ricketts' main focus right now, in my opinion, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna tell you from a guy that's a diehard Cubs fan, that's from the the streets of Chicago, that's listening to everybody and out here on a regular basis, that he's trying to buy up the rest of the neighborhood, make as much money as possible. He doesn't feel obligated to win anymore. He got the guys a ring, and that's it. That's where we're at. So, like, when when you know your team needs bats, like it does, and then you see it, you, you see a squad like you, you have a guy on your team like Castellanos that's on the Reds now, and you let him walk out the door. That's where we're at. We know we need bats. We've needed bats for almost two years, and there's no bats in order, and that's where we're at. So, I that was going to kind of lead into my next thing with uh, impending free agent Chris Bryant. I, I'm assuming you think he's going to get traded at some point this year. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very possible, right? You know, like, yeah, we could, KB could easily be moved. Um, I think he wants to stay, but yeah, he could easily be moved. They don't want to sign Rizzo. They don't, they don't want to spend any money. I think it's one of those situations where it's blatantly obvious, like, what's going on. Kind of like what's happening in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. Like, how many signals do I need to tell you that we're trying to move on from you or we don't really believe in you and you just happen to win another MVP on our watch? We don't really – every move we make doesn't support you as a player and we want you around. It's the same thing that the Cubs are doing with, Ken, uh, with Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and and if you want to throw Javi in there, this might be a little bit of a stretch just because of the way he's been playing. But, yeah, I mean, it's very clear what what's going on. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing to me that this is a team that five years ago won the World Series, ending 108 years of suffering. And this is largely the same core, and it's just blown up. No, but Andy, do you hear what I'm saying? I think yeah. he, I, and, and, and I get you, and I, and, and I think a lot of people in Chicago feel the same way, but on that same token, from what you're saying, I think Ricketts feels the same way. He's like, hey, 100 plus years of suffering, we got you guys a ring, I don't want to hear anything else. I'm going to try to make, now I'm going to try to make as much money as humanly possible, He's been crying broke and not trying to sign people for multiple years now. And I'm keeping it 100 on your show right now. If you remember, when we signed uh, Kimball, it was about 
I don't know, eight months late. Kimbrell was at home forever, if you remember. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, because they, they signed him. Our bullpen was in shambles. We went and got Kimbrell after we needed him six months prior. So it was almost like CEO had to just, I mean, pry Kimbrell, get him the money that he needed to get out of bed. But we needed, we, we needed Kimbrell, we need bats. It's all the same story, man. Yeah, and then you, you look at the other side of town, the White Sox have all this optimism, uh, a young core, solid pitching, and do, do you think that they, they can make that jump in the AL Central with where there are solid teams out there, especially in Minnesota? Oh, man, so I think they can make the jump. Yeah, absolutely. They have so much young talent, so many so many young guys at Mercedes and, and Oh man, I mean, they're, they're, they're coming off of value with the MVP, coming off of the MVP year. They have so much talent, so much optimism, very, very, very hungry bunch. Yeah, man, they could, they could definitely press and get it done just like anyone else could, 100%. I mean, like, I, I, like you were talking about your Mercedes, I, I, that's that, starting out the season eight for eight, that's, that's unheard of. And just to, to see, a rookie do that is is wild. I mean, did you? Did, there's certain guys that where you see the ball come off the bat, and you're like, man, who is this kid? And he's one of those guys. Like, who is this dude? Like, this is ridiculous. And that's how the ball is coming off the bat for Mercedes this this early in the year. Um, obviously, it's early. We got a lot to go, but man, they have. How about this? They have so many positive outlooks, like when you talk about the White Sox, and the Cubs are the exact opposite. It's a lot of contract talk, who are we going to keep, and uh, sometimes the guys that we're talking about keeping aren't very good. They aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And an example is like a guy like Javi Baez. Like, there's, and you know what a guy is, having a bad start, but you can see him getting on track. He's having good at bats. He's making contact. He's solid balls off. Yeah. Javi Baez is not seeing the rock at all. When he swings and misses, it's four or five inches off the plate. Like, so, it's an interesting spot, man. It's, it's, it's almost a, it's almost a White Sox town purely off optimism at the moment. Had, have the Cubs and White Sox been allowing people into the stadium yet, or is is Illinois not there quite yet? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got uh, we got guys in both stadiums. Uh, the Cubs are allowing ten thousand at the moment. So uh, my uh, my my girlfriend's father is actually a season ticket holder, and essentially every every homestead they give. The, uh, the season ticket holders an option to buy whatever set they want, right? And if you don't buy the set for the homestand, so if there's like three series in a row, you have to buy all all three series. And if you don't want to buy those, you can pass, and then it goes on to like the next people in line, essentially. So if you are a, ticket, a season ticket holder, you buy those set, and then you can do whatever you want with them. But it, they all come in four. You can't buy twos. Comes in fours and essentially it's ten thousand max social distancing and all that. But yeah, that's a four ten thousand max at Ringley, and uh, I believe it's the same at Comiskey as well. And we're talking with Sean Little from No Catch of Chicago. 
Uh, we're going to jump to the gridiron, and I, I know that this one might be a little bit of a sore subject, and I, I'm sorry, but, <laughs> but Andy Dalton, really? Yeah, I I think uh, I think sore subjects almost even a nice way to put it. I think uh, it's a super slap in the face to all Bears fans across the city, the, the suburbs, across the country. Um. Yeah, it's not good, man. And I, and me personally, I have completely announced that I'm not supporting the Chicago Bears this season at all. I think it's a, it's what's been going on and what they've done to keep Nagy and Pace specifically is completely disrespectful to the fan base and everybody across the board. So I won't be supporting those guys. It's actually a very similar situation to where the Chicago Bulls are at. I would say like a year and change ago before they fired, uh, Gar, Gar Foreman and John Paxson and, and, and hired Arturis Conosovis. It's very similar to that. And then and Jim Borland was the coach. It's like, hey man, we're not, we're not dumb sports fans. It's like in New York. Like we're not fucking idiots out here. And I apologize for my beat that out, but. We're not idiots out here, and the, the guys that you're running out and trying to propose that this is a good football team or a good basketball team is nonsense. So, yeah, I mean, Andy Dalton is a joke. Simple as that. There's, hey, and it would be a lot easier to swallow if it wasn't for $10 million. You could go down the list of quarterbacks in the league making money and – we got guys like Jameis Winston making less than 10. We got guys like Cam Newton making way less than 10. Um, for, 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 for Ryan Pace to completely muff the whole situation and then on top of everything, muff it some more and give Andy Dalton $10 million is outrageous. I, I don't, I don't blame you. And I, I mean, look, as someone whose team has been in, in quarterback purgatory basically since the day I was born, I I get it. Yeah. I mean, like I, I like I had like those three good years. Hey, of, let me ask you this: How do you how do you feel about the BYU kid coming in? I I'm optimistic, but I also said the same thing about Sam Darnold, and we saw how that worked worked out. I, I full yeah. di- full disclosure, and most people know this about me. I wanted Allen three years ago, and everyone's like, "Nah, he's, he he never never played anybody." Really? Uh, yeah, I I I wanted a guy who could play in cold weather. Because especially okay. in, in the AFC East, when you have to play in December at the Meadowlands and in Foxborough, you're gonna play in rain, you're gonna play in high wind, you're gonna play in snow. I want a guy who can right. who can do that. And Wilson is the one who has done that. Trevor Lawrence has played in some cold weather, but then they screwed themselves out of that by winning that game against the Rams. Yeah. So, <laughs> so get, get, yeah. given given the options, I would take. I would take Wilson, and I, I think he's okay. I think he's going to be the. I, I hope he's going to be the right choice. Is what I, what I want. Like I said, yeah. Well, I I hope for you too. I think it's funny that I think for guys like me and you that haven't had a quarterback, all this talk about you're you you're giving up too much for a guy like Russell Wilson, or you're giving up too much for. This, that, and the third, it's all nonsense. Like, I'm giving up whatever I need to to get a solidified quarterback in Chicago. Like, don't talk to me about 
Like, we were initially talking about picking up Russell Wilson, and they were talking about, hey, you're giving it, you're giving up too many picks, and you're doing this, you're doing that. It's like, yo, there's not, there's not, a, there's not enough picks that I can give up to get a guy like Russell Wilson. I don't want to hear about any of that. So, yeah, man, I hope, uh, I hope it pans out for you guys as it does for us, hopefully, down the road. Yeah, like, I, 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 I feel bad for Khalil Mack. Like, he, he, he comes in and, like, the Bears just haven't been that team. Like he, like he could have, he could have been that guy if the if the Bears had a better quarterback situation, where the offense would have been really helping the defense. Like I, I just kind of feel bad for where Max at. Yeah, I don't know if I, I don't know if I feel bad is the right word. He's making so much money that it's hard to feel bad for him. But yeah, I mean, he essentially thought he was coming to a to a spot where he could actually compete and. For those first two years, he, he had a real chance, but now it's, it's, it's gonna be interesting. They're essentially asking a defense that can definitely play ball to continue to make all the plays and hold teams to 16, 17, 18, 19 points a game while we try to figure it out on O. And it's tough to motivate a group in that way. Yeah, uh, what are your thoughts on the 17 game schedule? Are you are you for it or against it? Um, I'm kind of indifferent, honestly. I think uh, the only reason I would rock with this is the thing, right? Like, I don't, I'm not a player. I for all the player standpoint, it's like, yeah, the, this extra game is kind of ridiculous. But on, on like a fan standpoint. I, I, it's hard to say I'm against it when I'm, I know I'm going to enjoy that extra full week of football to play. Um, so I'm kind of indifferent. I, I get all sides. Like the players are like, yeah, this is too much, but there's money to be made on the advertising side and the TV right side. And I, I'm not going to complain about an extra full week of football, but yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mad about that, but. I'm indifferent. I, I get both sides. I understand it. I think uh, I thought a 16-week season was awesome, and my guess is a 17-week season would be awesome as well. So. Hey, you're, you're not you're not wrong about that. I, I'm with you there. You know what I'm saying? It's like uh, I mean, I'm sure 17 weeks is going to be great. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like, like, you know, yeah, whatever, it, it, yeah. What, one one extra week, one extra week where paying for yeah. red zone's worth it. Right. Exactly. Yeah, well, 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 it'd be nice to not have a 500 squad. Like, you can't say you're eight mate. You're either going to be a winning squad or a losing squad. That, that is true. You're, you're not, you're not right yeah. about that. All right. So, so I, I, I kind of like that aspect, but. Yeah, we're, we're talking with Sean Little from No Catch Up Chicago. Gonna jump over to the hardwood since you were talk you mentioned the Bulls before. Bulls are relatively close to a playoff spot sitting at 22 and 29. Do you think that they can get, you think they can sneak in? Yeah, I think they can sneak in purely off of uh, that play-in situation that's going on. I think if they get in the play-in, they could definitely they could definitely make one of the final slots in the playoffs. Um, you know how it is, Andy. You get you get some new guys, and you get some some new guys that need to play together. I think that's where they're at. They're they're trying to get together, mesh, play together. And the more they play together, the better they'll be. And I think uh, I like the move with Vucevic 
being uh, acquired another all-star on the team. So, yeah, I can't complain about that. And, yeah, I think they'll, they'll, they'll make the play-in series and then they'll end up making the playoffs. Yeah, I, I've been really impressed with the play of Zach Levine lately. I mean, he's putting up tw- almost 30 points a game right now, and that's that's really high numbers. I, I'm, I, I think he's been really No, he's a bucket. He's a basket. He's an offensive juggernaut. He's, that's, that's what he does. That's it. Simple as that. Yeah, I, um, I, I remember the, la- the last basketball game I, ha- I went to was a couple years ago at, at Barclays, Netra playing the Bulls. I think they had maybe maybe had just gotten Levine or like he had just come off an injury or something, and he was a he was a little he was a little he was a little slow, but he but you could see he was he was getting getting his legs back, and it's like you, you watch him, it's like okay, this guy's going to be the Bulls' best player within like three weeks, and it certainly looks like he got there. No question, he's just in, he's a pure two guard, and I. It's funny to say that because I think they're, you know, they're dying across the league, honestly. Like, how many pure twos are left in the league? I think you got Zach Levine, Devin Booker. Not very many after that that are, like, elite, anyway. Uh, who's my guy in Washington? I'm blanking on his name. Uh, not, not Beal, because they traded him. Uh, I know you're talking about it. It'll, it'll come to me. Not, he, either way, he, uh, there's not very many pure twos. He's a pure two, and talking from a guy that watches the Bulls all day long, pure Bulls fan, if we get a pure point, like an actual point guard that is, wants to run the point, wants to run the offense, and then you get a guy like Zach and Booch that can run the, uh, the pick and roll as well, and then you got a, you got a rookie like Patrick Williams that can get down and dirty and seems to be, be willing to do a lot. Then you got a guy like Sad, Thad Young and and Fife that are willing to get busy. Uh, I think they uh, they could definitely make some noise this year, and especially get another year where we can add some more pieces. I think next year it'll be it'll be it'll be fun as well. I I bet. And I what, one question I did have: like, what what are your thoughts on Billy Donovan? It's his first year as the the Bulls head coach after a couple head coaches that you know, to put it lightly, were not the best fit. For the Bulls, after Thibodeau was was let go, what are your thoughts on Billy Donovan? Yeah, no, I uh, I like Billy. I think he brought some structure that was very much needed in uh, the organization, especially coming off a guy like Tim Boylan, who was one of the worst. He might be the worst coach in NBA history. That's it, a bold it, statement. It that bad. Yeah. So coming off a yeah, yo, I'm, I'm telling you right now, Andy. Jim Warren might have been the worst coach in NBA history. So to come off a guy like that, to get to a, a vet that knows how to rock with players and, and deal with vets and even young guys, because he's a, he's, he has a college pedigree as well, um, I think it's a great hire. I think he's doing a great job so far. And uh, time will tell, man, but I think so far so good. And, I mean, he's only been around uh, not even a full year, full season. And they're almost at 500. They made some moves, but I think next year is going to be the big tell about Billy and and the squad itself. All right, let, let, let's talk, let's talk about the podcast itself. You know, you guys, yeah, you, you and Nick have been doing the show now for what, like three, four years? Yeah, yeah, four, four, yeah. Yeah. 
So, wait, so as, as you, you know, you do, you do a weekly, like, how, how do you keep things fresh in the creative process as you go on a week to week basis? Yeah, no, it's tough. Uh, you know, the, the biggest thing is we just try to bring our, our creative energy and our vibe, just like you do in your show, uh, on a weekly basis, talking about fresh topics. Anything, uh, that's hot or what's going on or things that maybe people don't want to talk about. But we were one of the first, I feel like, podcasts that actually talked about the Deshaun Watson situation. Like, we're not afraid to, uh, to approach situations or topics like that. So, yeah, it, uh, keeping it fresh is tough just because there's just always a lot of stuff going on. But I think if you always bring your own personal perspective to what's, uh, What's fresh on the street, you'll always get a genuine response from the people that are listening. Yeah, I'm sure that had to have been a lot, a lot more difficult for those few months where there was nothing going on from like April through July, where you had, you had nothing. Yeah, no, it was, uh, we took a break for one, at one point from like May to June, but at that point we just, you know, hopped on, talked about some, uh, we had some vintage conversations or like the classic, favorite G-O-T-E greatest of the era. That's one of my favorite topics. Like, I think uh, the the GOAT conversation is always overblown, but if you can talk about the greatest of the era, the G-O-T-E, then uh, you got some legs to stand on. It's always, it's, it's always fun because you could then talk about guards that, you know, where you actually saw a play and that would make an impact if you were coming up. So that's always an interesting conversation. It's almost like the GOAT versus, like, the best you've seen. Like, the best quarterback I've ever seen in my life is Aaron Rodgers. No question. Bottom line. But the best quarterback of the – or the greatest quarterback I've ever seen is Tom Brady, right? So, like, that's that's kind of the conversation you could have with the, the GOT versus the GOAT. I, I, you know, I, I actually like that comparison. That's, because, like, like you said, GOAT is over – is beaten to death. But the grace of the air, that least you can have like a huge debate on that. And it and it would Yeah, you can have a real you can have a real conversation like, yo, who is the best guard who was the best who was the best defensive guard in the two thousands? Like, you know what I mean? Like you can have a full blown conversation on guys like Ron Artash and Bruce Bowen and those type of dudes, you know? Yep. So yeah, it's, it's super fun. Yeah, I mean if we're ever doing the nineties, I'm I'm a little biased. I'm I'm going Ron Harper. Right. No, right. Yeah. You, you go to the 90s, you bring up guys like Gary Payton, Ron Harper. Yeah. All those guys. Yeah. That's exactly right. You could have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Do you, do you have anything big coming up, like down the pike for the, over like next month or so? No, nothing coming up too, 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 too crazy down the pike, man. Just make sure you uh, tune in with us. Go catch up Sports Talk in Chicago. We're everywhere. Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, uh, video and audio weekly. Rock with us. Uh, nothing, nothing crazy coming down the pipe, man. But just uh, we'll be continuing to talk about the hottest sports topics. Well, Sean, thank you for taking the time tonight. Hopefully, the Cubs can at least be competitive before it all before it all burns down, and the Bears <laughs> and the Bears can get to nine and eight. You got it, bro. Thank you so much for having me, man, Andy. Anytime, uh, anytime you want, I'll come on. You're the man. I love what you're doing. Salute from Chicago, brother. All right. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. All right, man.
Have a good night. That was Sean Little from No Catch of Chicago. And as you said, you can hit up, you can catch him on YouTube, Spotify, pretty much just like us, anywhere where you can get podcasts, where you want to listen to us, listen to him afterwards. He and Nick do great work, and I highly recommend it. That's just about going to do it for me. Last couple thoughts here. Uh, just want to give a quick shout-out to Brenton Pajnuk, ASU hockey alum, scoring his first professional goal tonight for the San Jose Barracudas, the AHL affiliate of the San Jose Sharks. You all know I love hockey. I saw it on Twitter today and had to throw it out there. That will now actually do it for me. I want to thank Brian McRae, Sean Little, and, of course, my man Brian Graves behind the glass. I want to thank all of you for listening, too. I'll be back on again soon. You're not going to want to miss it. I'm sure I'm going to have somebody fun on. I'm Andy Sukoff. Have a good night. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.